Hello, everyone. I am Art Tomasetti, and this is the Flight Test Safety Podcast. September is here, which means weather is starting to get cooler, school is back in full swing, and we get to listen to all those great songs about September. See how many you recognize. It's September. Wake me up when September. If you didn't recognize them all, it was The Happenings, Green Day, Daughtry, Neil Diamond, and of course, Earth, Wind & Fire. This is a busy month for me with preparations for the upcoming SCTP Annual Symposium. I hope to see many of you there, and it's a great opportunity to provide me your feedback or give me some suggestions of things you would like to hear on the podcast. Always happy to talk with our listeners. So that said, we'll jump right into our focus topic. Last month, we talked with Marty Rollinger, former Marine F-18 pilot, and an experience he had during carrier operations. If you missed it, go listen to that first episode to hear Rollo describe those tense moments after his aircraft pitched forward right after leaving the deck. Now, we'll pick it up with Rollo talking about what happened after he got the aircraft back on deck and tried to assess what occurred on that flight. You give the airplane to maintenance, right? And so that they can go start looking at what happened and you describe what you saw. So what transpires now is people try to figure out what happened with your airplane. Sure. Um, there there was some uh, initially finger pointing, I'll be honest with you. We're Marines, uh, fish out of water, if you will. We're on a Navy carrier deck and uh, we're inexperienced relative to our Navy brethren. And um, there was some, uh, hey, Rolla messed it up. Rolla was all over the stick or something. You know, he got into a, a pilot-induced oscillation. And and so I got questioned as if it was a mishap and said, no, I, you know, uh, to my memory, I did everything like I was supposed to. And I, you know, after I saluted, I held on to the coat rack, we call it, uh, up on the canopy. And and I don't think the Navy investigator believed me until, until one of the deck officers said, yeah, that's exactly what he did. And then we had the... The tape, you could watch the, um, um, of course, there was a magnetic tape that recorded what went on in the F-18. I'll get to that in a minute. But we could watch the camera from the tower, and it clearly showed that uh, as I rolled down the catapult stroke, the uh, stabs, the horizontal stabilizers in the back, were dug in initially to rotate the nose up, but then they they came out. Uh, they came to more level, which would imply, hey, somebody's in the cockpit pushing forward on the stick. Well, that's somebody in the cockpit was the flight control computers, not me. Um, but they started to put all that together, and then the magnetic tape showed, it took some digging, uh, but it showed that one of the angle of attack probes was reading properly a very low single-digit number around zero, and the other was reading a full stall. Well, the system, the flight control computers, averaged those two numbers, uh, 17, 18, number is the degrees angle of attack well that's still a stall so that they started to piece it together hey this airplane pushed the nose over to prevent a stall in the landing configuration it due to an erroneous aoa probe okay uh so so they're able to piece that together based on uh you know the video evidence from the what the ship can record and what your airplane was able to put back so now you know sort of uh, what happened, maybe not the why of the what happened, but at least the what happened. What what transpires next as the the F-18 world tries to sort this issue out? Yeah, great. Uh, they, they do a great job. Our maintenance people pull that probe out, 
and disassemble it, and they realize inside this probe, these are the conical AOA probes um, that stick out of the side of the airplane with slots in them, and inside the AOA probe housing is are two brass plates. One of them was riveted on, and the other was glued on, and uh, you know, one had a serial number, one had a part number. Well, the glued on one, after a thousand hours of being heated, as that probe gets heated, uh, it had let go, and that brass plate was loose in there. And so, what was summarized uh, happened, or uh, uh, surmised, I guess is the proper word, was that while I was behind that jet blast deflector getting bounced around in the turbulence, this thing locked internally, momentarily or temporarily. Uh, in the full stall position, and that wasn't recognized um, until at the end of the cat stroke when it was doing its thing, trying to prevent the airplane from stalling. Right. Okay, so now they figure out what has happened. Uh, they've got the why it happened. So I assume that the first thing that's done is every F-18 out there across the globe, people go out, take the probes out, and remove all the uh, poorly glued on or not the strongest glue available and try something different. Uh, is that what transpires? Yes, uh, Art, that's exactly what transpired. Through the Naval Hazard Report Program and then the Maintenance the Bulletin Program, everyone was directed to do such a thing and did so. And uh, mostly effectively, uh, there was unfortunately, I don't know, 18 months later, an accident that they never got the plane back, but they surmised um, the same thing caused it because the AOA probe that had just been installed from a parts depot had not had this bulletin done to it. Um, so, and then, and then longer term, uh, we, we, the F-18 community, the test world of which I eventually became a part of, designed new mission computer software, which gave the pilot more situational awareness as to what his AOAs were telling him. And they redesigned the flight control software to make it behave slightly differently to, to prevent this reoccurrence. Okay, so you take out, you get the fixing for the sort of mechanical issue, uh, material issue that was causal, but then realizing that, you know, potentially the F-18 has a, a vulnerability with the way it <clears throat> interprets the AOA signals from those two inputs and changes are made to improve the software and sort of reduce that vulnerability. So how, how aware are you as you're going through your career that, that that piece is playing out in the test world? You know, I I don't remember now. It's been long enough ago that I don't remember while it was going on how aware I was of it. Um, certainly once it came out, I could smile and say, you know, I know the incident because <laughs> uh, through flight control prom, I think, programmable read-only memory, they called it. Um, and this new uh, software, 13C and 15C softwares, which gave us uh, the angle of attack individual readings rather than just an average reading in the HUD and on the display. So, yeah, I would be smug about that and know that I know the reason for these. <laughs> okay, so the incident happened before you had uh, entered the test world. You were just a fleet pilot at the time. But now, when you look back on that incident, given everything you've learned, all the experiences you've acquired since then, um, would you have done anything differently? Oh, uh, 
I don't know that I could have. You know, it's easy to say now, gee, I should have known my angle of attack system and how my flight controls worked better, um, you know, studied my systems better. But I can remember learning in the F-18 world where they said initially when you're learning to fly it, they said, you know, up until now, flight school has always been learning about how an airplane flies and all the systems. Now it's 90% weapon systems you need to study and 10% airplane. Right. And so, you know, when you ask yourself, gee, could I have studied and known that a little better? Um, yeah, I could have, but at what cost? Maybe I wouldn't have known my AMRAM missile as well or something else that was important to know. Sure. So and let me hit it from a slightly different angle, too. So now uh, getting up to you doing your controllability checks and realizing that the airplane's now behaving despite what happened a few minutes ago. Uh, the airplane's behaving. You have nothing in the airplane that's telling you there's anything wrong with it. Uh, do you think hindsight now and all the experience now that you might have opted to do something different than bring it back to the ship? Nope. <laughs> that was the right decision. You know, it was only getting darker. And uh, as you probably well know, uh, ship landings can be challenging in the daytime, but especially challenging at night. So the last thing I wanted was an airplane that I wasn't confident in landing at night. Yeah. And I think that's an important point. That's sort of why I brought it up is, you know, in the test world, we usually, uh, especially when you're connected to a control room, have the opportunity to know a lot more about the airplane than what you can see from the cockpit. So there are times when something that doesn't go according to plan happens, but then an assessment's made. People looking at way more detailed information about the airplane are saying, hey, everything's okay. We can continue. But, you know, in, in the reality is you had an incident occur that wasn't supposed to happen or that no one expected to happen and you mentioned you made a very clear point is you, you now have a confidence concern with the airplane and you know that's that's separate from any technical thing necessarily so that that does drive how people make decisions and i think in the test world it might even be a little bit harder to to just say you know it just doesn't feel right not comfortable with that it's time to come back and have a rethink yeah that's a great point um you know the the airplane is the airplane and a pilot it sits in the airplane and until they're pilotless, the pilot is part of the overall system. And if the pilot's shaken um, or his confidence is shaken, that uh, needs to be it needs to be factored in, whether it's test or whether it's a combat mission. Uh, um, you know, you don't want somebody out there who's overly cautious because he doesn't trust his airplane. So. Right. Uh, okay, Roland. Hey, thanks very much for sharing that story with us. I think it's, it's great stuff. Usually on the podcast, we're talking about things that happen in in-flight test and after-flight test. Uh, this actually is something that a little bit ahead of flight test being called in to address the issue that was discovered. Uh, everybody on the podcast, I always give them an opportunity to you know put out some words of wisdom. Hey, the thing they learned in all their aviation experience that they wish somebody else would know and listen to. So, so the mic's yours here for a few minutes. If you've got any words of wisdom that you'd like to get out to our listeners, have at it. Uh, well, your, your flight test audience, um, you know, keep doing what, what they do, uh, turning out safe military airplanes and safe civilian airplanes. And, you know, we, uh, on the, the uh, pointing end of the spear in the Marine Corps, but also in the civilian world out operating, no, you can't test everything, uh, but, you know, test what you can. Obviously, don't, you know, test the certification standards, but 
if there's an area beyond that that needs looked at that certification doesn't cover, make sure you cover that uh, so that we continue to have confidence. And then in my business, I don't know if there'll be business aviators listening to this. There probably will be a few when I tell them about it. But, um, you know, take advantage of your time in the simulator. Don't just do the minimum. Um, it, our, our simulators are pretty routine, and, and we have certain things we have to do to meet FAA certification and criteria to pass our simulator. But that's your your time to really play with the airplane and, and um, you know ask yourself, gee, maybe the FAA hasn't thought of this, but other failures that could happen. I do that routinely, and I love it. And most of the instructors I'm with, they love it too. They're like, wow, you know, we hadn't thought of that. So. Great stuff, Roa. Hey, thanks again for taking time out to be on the podcast. You, know, you were you were someone who approached me. Usually I'm having to go out and find people to talk to, so I really appreciate that. And for our listeners out there, if you've got a story, get in contact with me. I think we can potentially find a way to get it into a podcast episode. So, Rolo, thanks again for taking the time out. My pleasure. Great stuff. So thankful to Marty Rollinger for reaching out to me to share that story, as I think it highlights several key things. First is a look at what happens upstream of flight tests that necessitates additional testing may need to happen on fielded aircraft that have been around for a while. I also think the point about what Rollo did after his controllability checks is key. He had two options, continue the mission or abort the mission and return. Remember, he had no warnings or cautions and the aircraft was now responding normally to his control inputs. He made the comment though that the pilot is part of the system and that the pilot at least he did at that time, had a confidence issue with the jet. So he made the decision to abort the mission and return to the carrier. You know, that's probably, no, that's actually definitely a great discussion point. What do you do if an anomaly occurs, but then clears, and no residual issues are present or evident? Continue the mission or call it a day. So go ahead and discuss or ponder if you're by yourself. And until next month, be safe. Be smart and be ready. The Flight Test Safety Podcast is sponsored by Time to Climb Training and Consulting. Motivate your team to succeed, accelerate towards your goals, and elevate to a higher level of performance. On the web at www.time2climb.com.